Welcome to the ArchMI Podcast, featuring our senior customer trainer, Blaine Rita. Arch Mortgage Insurance Company, or ArchMI, is a leading provider of mortgage insurance, or MI, in the United States. Our competitive pricing tool, ArchMI RateStar, is the leading risk-based pricing platform in the industry, providing rates based on a thorough understanding of the underlying risk. Here's your host, Blaine Rada. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Blaine Rada with ArchMI. These podcasts are a place where I can share some of my over 30 years of mortgage experience perspective with you, not to tell anyone how to do what they do, but to simply share some ideas. Uh, my role at ArchMI lets me travel across the country speaking at events and meeting with lenders of all shapes and sizes, and that kind of gives me a view of the landscape that might be a little bit different than what you typically see. And so my intent is to provide as much value for that time that you're investing to listen to me. And, and trust me, I take that very seriously and want to honor that commitment. Everything that I share with you is really about creating separation and differentiation in the marketplace. So most of these have kind of a, a sales theme or a sales twist to them, although certainly a lot of people have said that you know the, the content and the information is applicable to, to many other roles within our industry and, and frankly across industries. But that's kind of where my focus is. My, my focus professionally for the last several years has been on how to help lenders do more business to increase their business and improve the quality of their business. What you can expect from me is conversation. Uh, these are not scripted. I certainly have some notes and I have thought through what I'd like to share with you on any given podcast, but you'll notice that uh, you know there'll be some ums and uhs and pauses. And frankly, I think that's okay. I think it's a lot easier to listen to somebody who is conversational as opposed to something that is scripted. And that just happens to be my style. The other thing that you'll notice is that my podcasts have a lot of content. So I try to put a lot of meat on the bones. I actually had someone come up to me at a live event once and say, Blaine, there's a lot of meat on those bones. And at first I thought they were talking about me physically and I kind of didn't know how to respond. But they said, no, no, your content. I mean, it's, it's fundamental sound information, but you've given us so much to think about. And so that's really what I'm here to do. I'm here to provoke thought, to get you thinking about how these ideas have meaning for you. And uh, again, you know, how you can apply them is very important to me. So please be thinking about that. And you should know always what my worldview is regarding sales. My worldview on sales is that sales is not about the sale, that selling is not about just getting the deal, getting the order, getting the application, that it's really about establishing if you're the best fit. And it's important that you know that that's where I'm coming from, because some sales gurus out there are more about the techniques and the tactics to persuade and convince and to get people to buy from you. And I, I don't think uh, that's the way we're headed. I think that's old school. And I apologize in advance for anybody who may be offended by that. But I think that the, the new order of sales is to be of service, to be of value. And when that is your focus, you will have plenty of business. You will have more business than you probably know what to do with. So it's important that you know where I'm coming from. So uh, that kind of flavors everything that I have to say. Now, today's podcast is actually going to be a bit of a departure from what I normally do. And honestly, I'm not even quite sure how this is going to go. <laughs> um, I had an experience last year that if I had to describe it in one word, I would say was transformative. And so I've been thinking a lot about this word transformation, right? And so I want you to think about that for yourself. Like, aren't there things about ourselves that we want to transform, whether it's our physical self, like we want to transform our health, or it's our relationships, 
We want to transform our relationships in some way or from a work and business standpoint, you know, transform our, our career, our livelihood, our income. Um, there's all kinds of ways when we look at our lives that we might be thinking about that word transformation. Maybe you don't use that word specifically, but that's the, that's the word that comes to mind for me. And so what I'd like to share with you today are some things about this experience that I had that not only were transformative for me, but that I think could be transformative for you. Now, I do want to say right at the outset here that this isn't about me. Even though you're going to be hearing a lot about Blaine in this particular podcast, um, I don't need to hear myself talk about my experience. I'm here to share this for you. And so it's really important that you internalize this information, that you be thinking about how this has meaning for you, what has meaning for you, because I do really believe that transformation is actually not as hard as we often think that it is. And so however that word has meaning for you, I want you to kind of hold that, you know, as we as we walk together through this topic, um, so that hopefully even even after this podcast, you'll already feel as if you've, you've been empowered, you've got some information that can help you to transform. You know, a motivational speaker once said, you don't ever have to be the same after today, except by choice. You don't ever have to be the same after today, except by choice. That's a perspective, right? That's a particular perspective. I happen to think it's a valuable perspective that you really could choose to be different after today. And so I'm here to encourage you and to prompt you to do that. Okay, so what was this experience that I had? Some of you may have heard of it. Most of you probably have not. Um, it's called the Camino de Santiago. The Camino de Santiago, I, I first learned about it from a movie. Uh, a, a movie came out in the U.S. back in 2010 called The Way. The Way stars Martin Sheen. And I believe it was directed by one of his sons, Emilio Estevez. And kind of the focus of this film is this journey called the Camino de Santiago. It's basically a pilgrimage. It's a 500-mile walk across northern Spain. And literally, millions of people have done this for over a 1,000 years. So even though in America, we didn't really know much about it until the movie came out, frankly, <laughs> uh, people in Europe have been making this pilgrimage, obviously, for a really long time. So first of all, don't be impressed by the fact that I walked 500 miles across northern Spain, because millions of people have done it. And I saw every kind of human possible in terms of age and ability and size uh, that was out there doing their thing. So I had heard about it in the movie, and I just thought at the time when I saw it in the movie, you know, that's a thing that really intrigues me. I, I, I think that could be a, a significant experience in my life that I'd like to do someday. Of course, I had no real plan for when I would do it or how I would do it or if I'd even be able to do it, but it was just one of those seeds that got planted in my mind. And many years later, it finally, you know, grew fruit, so to speak. In other words, the, the seed became a plant, the plant started to produce fruit, and I put the pieces together and decided that I would go for it. So again, the Camino de Santiago is a 500-mile pilgrimage across northern Spain. Now, the word pilgrimage to me was kind of hard to understand because I didn't grow up with any specific religious tradition. So, I mean, I understood in a, in a very vague way what a pilgrimage might be, but I didn't have any real knowing of what a pilgrimage was. So I tried to find definitions for what is a pilgrimage. And one of the things that I discovered was that they all talk about things like hardship and peril, you know, getting lost, treacherous terrain, 
falling. Right? Now, oddly enough, that stuff actually really excited me, right? Like now, okay, I'm, maybe I'm not normal, but there's a few of you listening that aren't normal either, I'm sure. My way of learning more about myself has typically been to push myself, especially physically. I've engaged over the years in lots of endurance sports and things that have pushed me physically well beyond what most people would ever be interested in. But that's how I've learned more about myself. That, that's how I've grown as a human, so to speak. And so that's my way. So you may have no interest in ever doing something like walking 500 miles. That's not what's important here because you'll have your own way. You'll have your own walk, so to speak. Um, but this has been my way over the years. So when I heard that, you know, pilgrimages are not about, it, it's not, it's not a holiday. It's not, it's not, it's not camping. It's not uh, a vacation. It's, it's treacherous. It's difficult. But I needed a concise definition. And the one that I found said that a pilgrimage is a physical journey with a spiritual intention. And I thought that's perfect for me, a physical journey, because I'm all about the physicality with a spiritual intention. And that resonated with me a little bit more than the word pilgrimage, because again, I really didn't have any strong religious upbringing. So the word spiritual seemed to kind of have a, a better meaning for me. So a couple of days into this walk, right? I'm walking 500 miles. It took a month, by the way. It took a month off of my life to go do this. A couple of days into this walk, a guy comes up next to me who's also walking, and he says to me, so do you like going for long walks? And there's always this little smart aleck that's ready to respond that doesn't, fortunately. But, you know, the little smart aleck in me was thinking, what kind of stupid question is that? Like, I'm taking a, a month off of my life, leaving my family, leaving my work, coming to a foreign country to walk for, you know, God knows how long, right? And you're asking me if I like going for a long walk. And of course, I didn't say any of that. I just thought it. But I, I did think about the question and I thought, it's actually a brilliant question. The guy's trying to find out, like, why would you do this? Why are you doing this? And you know, honestly, if I just answered the question as he asked it, the answer would have been no. I don't like going for long walks. I don't like walking. I've been a runner my entire adult life. Running is much more efficient than walking. The first time that I tried to do some training for this, not that this is something you can actually train for, but the first time I did some training for this, I, I went for a, a 10-mile walk. It was agony. I'll run 10 miles way before I would walk 10 miles, right? It just seemed to be so slow. It was taking forever. I thought this is going to be so boring. I mean, it really wasn't very pleasurable. So no, the answer to the question, do you like going for long walks is no, not particularly. So why? What was my intention? What was my why? If I had to say it in a word, it was transformation. I wanted to become different, better, a newer version of myself, Blaine 2.0. I mean, I could have made a list, right? We could all make a list of the things that we wish we were better, right? I, I wish I had more patience. Uh, I wish I wasn't so judgmental. Uh, I wish I didn't get upset with people that I don't think are driving well. I mean, I could, I could make a list, but I just wanted to be better. I wanted to be a better human, a better husband, a better father, a better, a better coworker, another version of myself. That was my intention. So what about you? I want you to be thinking about how you'd like to transform. In what way would you like to transform? What would your intention be? Again, you may never consider walking 500 miles across Spain, but in your own way, you are on a walk. You are on a journey, maybe one of many, right, in your lifetime. 
What would your intention be? How would you like to change? How would you like to transform personally, professionally? So what I'm going to do is highlight six days. The entire journey for me took 25. I'm going to highlight six of those days. And each of those days has some significant teachings, if you will, some significant learnings. And these have everything to do with doing more business, right? So, I mean, if you're simply listening to these because you want to do more business, you want to, you know, make more money, I mean, you're going to hear things that are going to help you do that. But I also think that these are life lessons. These are things that are universal. They apply to all of us. And that they not only help us in our business, but they help us in our life. And so I'm really just here to share today. This is a little bit of a different podcast from others that we've put out there. Um, But I hope it has just as much, if not even a greater impact on you personally and professionally. All right. So day one, going to start with day one. On the first day, you cross the Pyrenees Mountains. You actually start in southern France and you cross over the mountains into Spain. And then the rest of the time you're in Spain. And it is so difficult that first day crossing the Pyrenees that many people take two days to do it. Now, I didn't have that kind of time. I was on a very compressed time schedule. I actually did this in far fewer days than anybody would ever recommend. In fact, I would never recommend to anyone that they do it in a short amount of time as I did it. But that's literally what I had. I had so many days on the calendar that I could be away and I wanted to do the whole thing. So I had a very aggressive goal, but I would not recommend that to anyone. (laughs) But just to set the stage, day one by many is considered to be the hardest day physically. And many people take two days. You know, they kind of walk up the mountain one day and down the mountain the next. But I did the whole thing in one day. And I took these little short videos of myself at the end of every day, like little selfie videos, just so that I could record, just so I could capture my thoughts, my feelings, you know, would even capture how I looked at that particular time. Because I knew that over the years, you know, my memories of this are going to fade. And so I just took these little videos as a way to remember what happened. And if you look at this video that I took of myself after the first day, which was grueling, I mean, I have never walked inclines that were this steep. Hills that, as someone said to me, you have to lean into. I didn't even know what that meant, to lean into a hill. I actually look pretty good. I mean, I'm feeling pretty good. I mean, I'm thinking if this is as bad as it gets, if this is the hardest day, this is no big deal, man. Like this is, let's rock. Let's, let's, let's do this thing, right? I'm feeling pretty good. So I felt great because it felt great. But day two, that overconfidence. Have you ever been overconfident? That overconfidence cost me dearly. So on day two, the terrain changed quite a bit. It went from walking on roads or smooth trails to basically walking on rocks. And not just ordinary rocks, but like sharp, jagged rocks coming up out of the earth that were just pummeling my feet, just destroying the bottoms of my feet. But I was still feeling ambitious. And I was thinking, you start to sell yourself, right? You start to talk yourself into your own ideas. I do this all the time. I talk myself into my own ideas. It's called rationalization, by the way. It's a skill that we learn from the time that we're kids. And so I started rationalizing to myself that, you know what I should do? While I'm feeling so good, I should do another amount that's like two days worth. Because while I'm feeling really good, this is where I should put some in the bank, right? Like, this is where I should get ahead. Because I don't know what the future holds. I mean, I could get injured. I could have an illness. Maybe I just would need to take some time off. Maybe I should work hard now 
so that I can, you know, deal with whatever happens later. And so I had this grand vision of doing another two days worth on the second day. That meant going all the way to Pamplona. So on day two, I'm heading to Pamplona. And everybody that I would mention that I would come across on the path that I was doing that would look at me almost with pity, like, oh, you poor soul, you really have no idea what you're doing, do you? Because this was crazy talk, right? So in addition to that, I'm dealing with this pummeling my feet. I'm starting to feel blisters form. Now, I've been a runner my whole adult life. And I'll tell you, if, if you deal with blisters, I mean, th this could be game changing, right? Like this could end my whole trip. But I'm starting to feel that blisters are forming. I'm getting really, really tired. I haven't seen anybody on the trail for hours. It gets to the point that the wheels are coming off. Like I'm literally losing it. Now, before that, just back up a few hours, I had been coming out of this little village. I had stopped at a store to get some food. And as I'm leaving this little village, a man is coming in and he sees that I had gone to the store and he asks me, hey, did you notice if they had any sun cream? And I remember thinking, sun cream, sun cream, like what's sun cream? Oh, suntan lotion. He's British. He's a Brit. His name was Fleming. And he was basically asking, because we were in the, just sun was relentless, right? So he was fair skinned and he wanted some suntan lotion. I said, well, I didn't really notice any, but I, did, I wasn't looking for it. And so we struck up this conversation and are just having a nice chat. And then these two women from Australia come up, these two sisters from Australia. And so all four of us are just having this wonderful chat. But I'm looking at my watch thinking, you know, I'm in the Pamplona. He was the first person when I had mentioned that, that didn't look at me like I was crazy. You could tell when I mentioned going to Pamplona that he actually started like the wheels were turning in his head. Like he was actually considering that's possible. Like that's, hmm, because that wasn't their plan, right? The Aussie sisters in Fleming were not planning to go to Pamplona. Okay, so now fast forward a couple of hours, Blaine's having a meltdown. I mean, literally, I at one point I was so exasperated. I was up at the top of a hill. I didn't, I didn't even know that I was going the right way. I didn't know how far it was to Pamplona. My body was breaking down. Mentally, I was toast. And all I needed to do, I stared up at the sky and I shook my fists and I screamed my lungs out. Day two. And the only thing I knew to do was to turn back. Because if I went back, I'd eventually get into a town that I'd come to before and I could find a place to stay and that would be the end of my day and I would not get to Pamplona. And it was killing me to think, really? Backwards? You're going backwards? So right as I turned around from the top of that hill and started going down... Who's coming up? I had not seen people for hours. Who's coming up the hill? Fleming and the Aussie sisters. Now think what you will, but I don't think they would have been there if I hadn't had that chance encounter hours before and planted the seed of possibility in his mind that you could actually get to Pamplona in that one day, and they decided to go for it. They had the energy to carry me along with them. And I made it to Pamplona because of them. You never know how a comment, a random encounter that you have with someone not only changes them, but could change you. So what do you do when you've reached the end of whatever your limit is? Right? I, I, screaming at the sky, right? I have had it. I can't take a single thing more. It's worth pondering because we've all had those moments. What do you do about that? 
I mean, can you find another gear? Here's an example of finding another gear. You're a new parent and you're sleep deprived and your child wakes up every couple of hours and needs to be fed. You find a way. You just do, right? You find another gear. You don't think you can, but you do. Well, I didn't have any more gears until they came along. What else could you do? Could you ask for help? Well, I hadn't seen anybody, and that's not my nature. I don't tend to ask people for help. I'm not very good at that. But maybe some of you know that that's actually a really good option. When you've reached the end of your rope, you ask for help. You reach out to people. You know, what I learned from that experience, not just that day, is how much we need each other. Even in this industry, even in our business, you'd be amazed at how much we really do actually need and depend on each other. So I'm asking you to think about how you personally handle reaching the end of your limits. I'm also asking you to think, how are you the support for others that have reached the end of their limits? You know, how, how am I a lifeboat for other people? Because honestly, I don't give that a lot of thought generally. I don't think about how am I supporting others? How am I helping others? You know, one of the simplest ways that people helped each other, we, we were known as pilgrims, the people walking this path, we were known as pilgrims. And one of the simplest ways that the pilgrims helped each other, and you keep in mind, these are people from all over the world. I mean, most of them are probably Europeans, a lot of Spaniards, obviously, because we're in Spain. But there's people there from Australia and the United Kingdom and Asia and all over the world. <clears throat> Actually, not a lot of Americans, oddly enough. One of the ways that we helped each other is we just had an expression that we used. Every time you'd come across somebody, you would say, Buen Camino. And Buen Camino, loosely translated, means good journey. And it was such a cool thing when you would come across people to just wish them a good journey. So whether you were hearing it or whether you were saying it, such a simple phrase actually kind of quickened your steps and, and lifted your, your legs a little higher, right? So it made me think about how do I do that for other people? As I'm interacting with, you know, fellow humans on this, on this daily walk that we all have, how am, I, how am I doing that for other people? Really got me thinking about that. So I'm asking, I'm asking you to think about that. By the way, this is kind of startling. It won't surprise you, but it's startling. So Harvard Medical School uh, Harvard Medical School did a 75-year study. It, you're going to hear this and think they had to do a study for this? I often have that, uh, that uh, reaction to studies. But a 75-year study by Harvard Medical School determined that good relationships is what keeps us happy and healthy. Good relationships keep us happy and healthy. Okay, so we kind of probably know that already. But here's another thing that to contrast that, Cigna, the healthcare company, Cigna did a study in 2018. They found that 50% of Americans, and this is a cross-section of Americans, the numbers are actually worse the younger the age, but 50% of Americans, only 50% of Americans, have a meaningful in-person social interaction every day. Meaningful in-person social interaction every day. Only half of us do that. Largely because technology has enabled us to live our lives without having any social interactions. I mean, I don't consider online to be meaningful in-person social interactions, right? So boy, do we really need each other more than ever. Okay, day 12. I'm fast forwarding to day 12. I call that day, sometimes people are jerks. 
So I was getting to a point on the Camino where there was going to be a 10-mile stretch of nothing. And what I mean by nothing is no town, no food, no water, no shade, no place to sit, no bathroom, nothing for 10 miles. That's a stretch. That's a long stretch, right? So I was smart enough to know at the town before this long stretch to fuel up, right? Get some food, get some water, fill up my pack, right? Go to the bathroom, do all the things I'm not going to be able to do for 10 miles. And when I paid for the things at the store, I felt like I was being overcharged. You know, merchandise wasn't marked, but I knew how much stuff cost because I bought these things for days now, right? And I just had that sense. You know, when you're with somebody and you just have a sense that they're ripping you off, you just get a sense from people when they're trying to take advantage of you. And those little, you know, hairs on the back of my neck went up. I'm being ripped off here. But, you know, I'm not in their country. I don't know their language very well. I'm not, or not in my country, I should say. I'm not going to get into it with this person in the store. I'm just going to, it's his problem, right? If he's ripping me off, it's his problem. But that's in the back of my head as I hit this 10-mile stretch. Well, often in these stretches, a local resident will actually set up an oasis. An oasis, I'm, de- I'm defining it as an oasis or describing it as an oasis. It's basically a place where a local resident has put some, some chairs and tables for people to sit on, and they have some food and drink there, maybe for sale or maybe just as an offering, and they just ask for a donation. But it's basically a place where the pilgrims can stop and get some much-needed rest and talk to each other and get some food and drink. And so I stopped at one of these on that 10-mile stretch after that town and that person that ripped me off. And I pulled out the stuff that I had bought at the store and started to, you know, get some nourishment. And the guy that had this oasis set up basically walked up to me and said, what are you going to buy? And again, this communication is not as clear as I'm describing it because they spoke very little English and I spoke very little Spanish. So, you know, it's, it's hard to communicate. But in essence, he said, what are you going to buy? And I said, well, I'm really not sure because I already have some stuff here. I'm just going to sit here for a while and decide. And in essence, what he said was, if you're not going to buy anything, you can't stop here. And I couldn't believe it. Like, what? I even said, am I not welcome here? And he kind of shrugged and said, you wouldn't go to a bar and bring your own drink. I thought, wow. I was was angry. I was hurt. I was sad. I didn't know what to feel. But again, I'm not going to get into an argument. I put my pack back on. I, I literally said, adios, peace, amigo. And I started walking but I was anything but peaceful. I was so mad. And in my mind, my mind's racing, right? And so my mind, I start thinking, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do this. When I get back home, I'm going to write the people that write the guidebooks, because there's lots of guidebooks about traveling the Camino. I'm going to write the people that write those guidebooks, and I'm going to tell them about this guy. And I'm going to say, look, if you put this, this little oasis in your guidebook, if you mention it, you need to put a little disclaimer there that unless you're going to buy something, don't bother stopping, because this guy doesn't care about pilgrims. He just wants to make money. I mean, this is the stuff that's flooding through my head. And then I completely broke down and just started to cry. By the way, I cried every day on the Camino. I mean, my children who are adults could tell you they've seen me cry. They could probably count that on one hand. But I cried every day out there in Spain for all kinds of reasons. It wasn't always sadness. But I wasn't crying for the reason I thought I'd be crying. I was crying because of how I was responding. See, I thought I'd be crying because I was mistreated, right? The injustice of it all. This person had been mean to me. No, I was crying because my response to that was... How do I fix this? How do I make it right? How do I get back? How do I make this equal, right? You've hurt me. I'm going to hurt you. And I, I didn't think that was me. I did not think that's who I was. 
So that expression about how, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. I came across this expression. I actually wrote it down so I'd never forget it. It's everything happens for me, not to me. Everything happens for me, not to me. What about you? When you've been wronged, when somebody hasn't treated you well, when, frankly, your customers have been a jerk, right? How do we respond to that? All right, fast forward again, day 20. Now I'm the jerk. Day 20 was a really long day. It was one of the longest. I walked for over 12 hours. Took me over, uh, I went 30 miles, over 30 miles in 12 hours. When I finally arrived at a town that I thought I would stay in, they only had two hostels. Uh, I generally stayed in hostels or occasionally hotels, but usually hostels. And I went to the first hostel and they said, we're all full. And I went to the second hostel and they said, we're all full. Got to keep walking. So I had to keep walking yet to another town. I mean, I am literally exhausted. I am running on fumes by the time I get to this town. Now, my, my plan every night was that I would... I would text my family to let them know where I got to so that they could know where I had arrived every day. And I would send them a couple of pictures and we'd have a couple of texts back and forth. I'd only spoken to my wife about once a week. So by this time, I've only talked to her twice. Since I started walking, I've only talked to my wife twice. And immediately, as soon as I text my family to let them know where I am, and it's quite late where I am, but it's seven hours earlier back at home, immediately my wife responds back and says, you know, thanks for, thanks for letting us know. Can we talk today? And my response was, it's pretty late here. Uh, can we talk tomorrow or is it, you know, urgent? And she responds, that's fine. Is there anybody listening to this that thinks it's fine? Because <laughs> honestly, I thought it's fine. We're good. It's all good. We'll talk tomorrow. It's fine. She said it's fine. Those were the words she used. It's fine. See, you, you have to be more direct with me. She then went on to say, I'm driving mom home anyway. We just took dad to the hospital. He's on hospice. So, of course, I replied, I'm so sorry. We can talk, but literally 30 minutes from now, I've got to shut it all down because the hostels have these rules. By 10 o'clock at night, you had to be off your phone, lights out, in bed. I mean, they needed to control what was happening, right? They couldn't just have people doing their own thing. Well, we ultimately agreed that we would talk the next day. But I didn't sleep that night. I'm thinking about my father-in-law. He was the closest thing I've ever had to a father. Uh, didn't, uh, I was thinking about my mother-in-law. I was thinking about my wife. I was, so, I was so mad at myself that I hadn't figured out right how to call her. Like I just wasn't thinking about anything. No empathy. Talk about a lack of empathy. I, I showed zero. So when I woke up the next morning, I just had this sense that my father-in-law was gone. And I just didn't have it in me to walk that day. Shortest, probably the shortest day of any of my days. I just, I just didn't have it. I was emotionally and physically spent. And so I didn't go that far. And then I texted my wife. It would have been first thing in the morning at home. I texted my wife and said, I've stopped for the day. We can talk anytime. And so she called me up and he had indeed passed right about the time I woke up that morning. From the time he went to the hospital to the time he passed away it was less than 24 hours. Now, there, there had not been anything wrong with him when I left. He was in his 90s. And because of that, my wife and I had talked about what if something happens while I'm on this trip? And I visited him before I left. And of course, I didn't tell him this, but I visited him as if this could be the last time that we see each other. 
because I knew that that was possible. And I wanted that to be okay with me, right? That I had seen him and talked to him in a way that if this is the last time we see each other, I'm okay with that. Of course, I had no idea that would actually happen. So we cried and talked and decided I would keep going, that I wouldn't come home even though I'm supposed to give the eulogy. (laughs) Uh, It was going to be a memorial service anyway. Lots of people were going to be coming from all over the country. It was going to take a lot of days to organize. I was about two-thirds of the way through my journey. So we just decided I I will finish what I started and I will come home. But, you know, my wife didn't share with me because she did not want this to be in my head. She did not share with me at the time how much this had hurt her. And there's been a couple of times in our over 30 years of marriage where I've probably hurt her in that way, right? So bad that it just really stings. And it was largely unconscious on my part, right? Not that that's an excuse, but I mean, I was just ignorant. But she didn't want that in my head. So she didn't even share that with me until I got home. And that's when I realized, wow, I'd really been insensitive. So why am I talking about this? I mean, this is kind of like doom and gloom here. You know, how we handle adversity either defines us or destroys us. And so that's another thing I'd like you to ponder, right? How do you handle this stuff called life when it hits? And it's usually unexpected, right? It usually doesn't come announced. You're not prepared. The timing is horrible, right? It's just the way it is. All right. Um, Another day. I pushed through a storm, which was not the smart thing to do. I walked into a storm that was coming into the mountains. I was, my goal was to get to the highest point on the Camino where there's a very significant thing called the Cruz de Ferro. Cruz de Ferro means iron cross. And there's this huge pile of rocks. And on top of the rocks is an iron pole. And on top of the iron pole is a simple cross. And the tradition is that when you arrive at this place, you have brought a stone with you. And I had, I had brought a stone from home that I'd been carrying the whole time. And you lay that stone down and you release something. You're letting go of something that you no longer wish to carry. This was one of those moments that I had envisioned being part of this spiritual intention that I was after. And the reason I walked into this storm was because if I had stayed in town and let the storm pass, then in the morning, I would have been leaving with dozens of other people, and we all would have arrived at this place at the same time. And honestly, I wanted the place to myself. I wanted that moment on my pile of rocks to be just me. And so I thought, well, nobody's going to be out in this bad weather. I'm going to keep going. And of course, we've all heard that, you know, pushing through hardship, right? Getting through difficulties is where some of the biggest breakthroughs, the biggest insights of your life can occur. And of course, the good news is it never stays bad, right? It never stays difficult. I mean, the next day, of course, the sun came out, the storm had passed. It was a magnificent day. It was stunningly beautiful, right? Spring always follows winter. Day always follows night. These dark periods, these difficult periods, not only bring the potential for a huge amount of personal growth, but they never stay dark and difficult. And that's encouraging to know. It's encouraging to remind other people who are going through difficult times. It won't always be this way. It's guaranteed to change to something else, and the something else will probably be better than what you're dealing with right now. All right, fast forward to the last day. 
Day 25, I had walked 550 miles in 25 days. Unbelievable. How is that even possible? That's over 20 miles a day for 25 days consecutively. That's, that's roughly averaging nine hours of walking a day. Crazy. How does a person do this? Well, it's not easy, but the formula is simple. Here's the formula. I didn't have anything else to do. I mean, life on the Camino is pretty simple. You get up in the morning and you start walking. And eventually you stop. And the next day you do the same thing. And in between, you eat, you shower, you wash your clothes, you sleep. That's it. All the things that take up my energy, all the things I pay attention to on a daily basis, they didn't exist there. My work, my home life. I mean, for a little while there, I had to carry the death of my father-in-law. But other than that, nothing other than the Camino was on my mind. If you want to accomplish something amazing, you've got to subtract some other things from your life. You can't just keep adding. And that's what we have a tendency to do. Oh, I want this. I want that. I want to accomplish this thing. But we don't take the time to move some stuff to clear and make room for what we want to do. Now, again, this may be the last thing in the world that you'd ever do to take a month off of your life and walk 500 miles. I mean, this may not be your cup of tea at all. But there are other things that you either have, are, or will be doing, right, that are your walk, that are your journey. And a lot of the themes and the, the insights and the learnings that I, that I received in this journey certainly apply to yours as well. And so in closing, this really did change my perspective. For one, I like walking now. That's pretty amazing in and of itself. You know, at the very beginning, that guy asked me, do you like going for long walks? I, my answer would have been, nope, not really. Now I run less and I walk more. You'd think after all that walking, I might never want to walk again, but actually the opposite has happened. I really enjoy walking now. Also, some perspective that I wanted to share with you came from my dad. Now, not my father-in-law. My father-in-law passed away during the Camino. Uh, but my father, who I didn't really know growing up, my parents got divorced when I was an infant, fortunately, because he was a raging alcoholic. And so I didn't get to know him until I was an adult. And by that time, he was sober. So I got the best years of his life. And we really, I never really considered him like a father figure because he wasn't in my life. But we were good friends, great friends. But he passed away early at the age of 62, or young, I should say. And I have this recording of him speaking at an AA meeting, and it, he was talking about his journey to sobriety. Right? Talk about another journey, a journey to sobriety. And at the end of this recording, he says something profound. And I listen to this every year on what would be his birthday. And I just wanted to leave you with this as well. He said in describing his journey to sobriety that he's not the person that he used to be, but he's not the person that he wants to be but he's happy with who he is today. And I thought in looking back over my experience on the Camino, I am definitely not the person I was before, but I'm not the person I want to be, but I'm happy with who I am today. And I certainly would wish that for you, that you may not feel that you're who you used to be and you may not feel that you're who you want to be, but that you can be happy with who you are today. This journey also led me to writing a book about the experience, which I never would have thought that I would have done. 
And you can certainly find it on Amazon and all the other places where books are sold. Just do a search for my name. I think we're also going to have a link on the ArchMI website under my bio section as well. And all, all, the, all the proceeds from the sale of the book, I'm donating to charities that support the Camino. That just seemed to be the right decision for me. I didn't want to actually profit from talking about this experience or sharing this experience. I wanted to put it back into the Camino. So normally at the end of these podcasts, I, I talk about some key takeaways. But honestly, I don't think I should be the one that tells you what the key takeaways are because you have your own. You've gotten from this whatever you needed or wanted to get from it. And it's not for me to say, oh, these, these were the main points. These were the key takeaways. When I've given this presentation to a live audience, I've often had people come up to me at the end and talk about things that they heard me say. And honestly, I didn't say those things. <laughs> it's just what they heard. And that's okay, too, because this was a very personal type of a, a sharing, if you will, something a little different, something a little off the beaten path from what we normally do on these, but I think potentially just as valuable, just as transformational. So I think all that's really left to say is Buen Camino. I hope you have found the time worthwhile. This is Blaine Rada with ArchMI. Thank you for listening. Arch Capital Group Limited's U.S. mortgage insurance operation, ArchMI, is a leading provider of private insurance covering mortgage credit risk. Headquartered in Greensboro, North Carolina, ArchMI's mission is to protect lenders against credit risk while extending the possibility of responsible homeownership to qualified borrowers. ArchMI's flagship mortgage insurer, Arch Mortgage Insurance Company, is licensed to write mortgage insurance in all 50 states, the District of Columbia, and Puerto Rico. For more information, please visit ArchMI.com. ArchMI is a marketing term for Arch Mortgage Insurance Company and United Guarantee Residential Insurance Company. All rights reserved.